A very warm good evening to you all this Wednesday night, and I am looking forward to our text tonight as strange and sad and bizarre as it is. I think we'll find uh, some application and hope for us all there, and I'll remind you this Sunday morning, we are going to be back in the book of Acts after a bit of a break. We'll be looking at uh, Acts 19, verses 21 through 41, and it's a rather uh, interesting passage there that we'll encounter this Sunday morning. So I hope you can join us. And uh, this evening, we're going to continue in 1 Samuel 28. We peeked ahead at the first two verses because they really belong to chapter 27, as we noted last week. But if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 28. We'll look at verses 3 through 25 in our usual three section breaks. Now, last week we found the very practical lesson from the actions of King David that there is no need or reason for us to live life under the circumstances. We have the power to live above the circumstances of life, and we don't need to live under the heavy hand of fear, doubt, and worry. Somebody say, Amen. Now, If you remember, we made mention that God had protected King David or David at the time through multiple attempts of Saul to kill him. He showed David the extent of his protection by even putting him in close enough proximity to take the life of King Saul on two occasions. And then he even furthered his evidence of presence and protection in David's life. The second time that he put him next to Saul and the sleeping army, as well as the commander of the army, as the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on 3,000 hand-picked men, Abner, the commander of the forces, and King Saul himself. And now, after well over 20 years of God's protection and provision to David, we noted he came to this conclusion. 1 Samuel 27, 1, David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Now, remember, the meaning of heart here is figurative, as we discussed last week, and it means the seat of emotions or feelings as well as intellect. And David said in his heart, he said in his feelings, in his emotions, and he reasoned within himself the facts of God's protection in the past, he still felt the present solution in mind and emotions to be to escape to a Philistine city where he had almost been killed one other time. Now, what David needed to remember and what we reminded ourselves of last week were three truths, and they were what was true in times of blessing is still true in the midst of our trials. That's true this week, not just last Wednesday night. We also noted there is no right way to do the wrong thing. The wrong thing is the wrong thing, no matter your motivation. And lastly, we reminded ourselves that the benefits and blessings of God's will are found in God's will. And life under the circumstances was not God's plan for David. It's not God's plan for you and I. And we know that because of the results we examine that we'll mention over the next couple of weeks when we return after praise night to the book of 1 Samuel. 
Now, David thought the trust that Achish had in him would afford him the chance to fight behind him in an enemy line, so to speak. But that never materialized. And not only, if you remember last week, was David sent back home, but when he returned to Ziklag, the team, or the town rather, that Achish had given to him, the Amalekites who survived the previous raids of David from other cities had burned the city to the ground and taken the families of all 600 of the armed men that were with David captive as well as David's own two wives. And David's decision to do what he felt to be led by his emotions to reason and justify his decision almost led him to getting killed by his own men who wanted to stone him because of what happened to their families. Now, our scene tonight is a rather sad scene, to say the least. Remembering that Saul had uh, been rejected by the Lord as king. And yet he is still seeking after spiritual guidance and he needs to know what to do in light of his current situation in the proximity of the armed Philistine forces. And he wants to secure information about the future, which information he had availability or access to in the past, but he had now forfeited that by his disobedience, as we'll find in our text. Now, there's an element of our chapter tonight that is widely debated, and I think we can settle the matter or at least bring some clarity to the varying opinions by making one single observation about this supernatural encounter that Saul has with long-dead Samuel. Now, our title comes from the direction things are headed for Saul and sadly for his sons, as we'll see in coming chapters. And that is, things were going for Saul, here's our title, from bad to worse. From bad to worse is our title. Now, that's not a very happy title. However, our direction tonight is how to avoid having things going from bad to worse. Somebody say amen. Now, Paul recorded a truth in Romans that we need to apply to our time to set our course tonight, where he said in Romans 15, 4, whatever things were written before were written for our what? For our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, what scriptures would Paul be referring to at the time of the writing of Romans? Obviously, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He says, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, the hope in the context of our verses is how to avoid having things go from bad to worse in our own lives. Or we might say, how to keep one bad thing from leading to another. Today, I couldn't help but think of an illustration I've given uh, at the first of the year many times over the past Uh, heads of the year or the month of January when everybody's making their dietary commitments and enforcing restrictions on themselves and the gyms are way fuller in January than they are in February and March. And the point I often remind ourselves of is if you're starting a diet and you slip up and have a donut, one donut does not create an obligation to the rest of the dozen. In other words, if you eat one, you don't have to eat them all, right? So if things go bad for the moment, they don't have to get worse. We don't have to let one bad thing lead to another as this 25-year digression of Saul is about to hit rock bottom in our chapter. So 
Let's not follow in his footsteps and let things go from bad to worse. Our first reading will be from 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 8. So would you stand and read with me, please? 1 Samuel 28, we'll pick it up in verse 3. We read 1 and 2 last week. Verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is in who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and went and put on other clothes. And he went and two men with him. And he came to the woman by night and he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. You may be seated. Obviously, things are going from bad to worse for Saul at this point in time. And we might think of our time as a not-to-do list rather than a to-do list. And it begins with what Saul does here. Since the normal means of seeking answers from the Lord were no longer accessible to him, and he wasn't getting what he thought he needed and certainly wanted. Now, first of all, Samuel's death is re-mentioned with about as little of fanfare as it was the first time we encountered it. We're only told that this man who was godly all the days of his life, who his mother had dedicated into the service of the Lord, who was the last of the judges and transitioned Israel into the period of the kings, <clears throat> is that he died and he was buried in his hometown. Now, the very next thing we're told is that Saul had put the mediums and spiritists out of the land. Now, there's an interesting word that's translated as medium in the Hebrew. It is the same word the Hebrews would translate into the term ventriloquist. It also means a necromancer, one who summons the dead. A spiritist is simply a wizard or a conjurer, one who stirs up spirits. It could even be translated as a soothsayer. Now, Saul was being obedient to the word, though his motivations are certainly suspect, because Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14, the Lord said to the nation, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, offers them as a human sacrifice to the god Molech, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, a spiritist, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a what? A medium and again a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you, which is what Saul did initially. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you will dispossess, 
listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. And again, Saul had initially done the right thing concerning this group of conjuring scammers. But when he realized he was not getting his answers from the Lord directly, nor was he receiving any dreams to direct them, nor were the Urim and Thummim guiding him. We'll talk about that in a moment. And even the prophets had no word from the Lord for King Saul. So he turns in this forbidden direction in his desperation to get the answers about what to do about the army of the Philistines that he desires. Now, as far as the Urim and the Thummim, we're told in Exodus 28:30, you shall put in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. In other words, they were two stones in the ephod that the high priest would wear. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Now, Urim means lights. And Thummim means perfection. So they were called the lights and perfections. And nobody knows exactly how they operated, but they were sought in order to get direction from the Lord. And whether they lit up or whatever they did, the Bible doesn't say. But what we do know is that they were worn on the ephod of the priest. And if you remember that Saul had slain all the priests in the city of Nob, so it's likely that the ephod worn by the priest was either unavailable uh, to him or there was no priest to wear it as a representative of the judgment of God before the people. Now, he has run out of options. And now we're told he has a fearful heart because of the proximity of the Philistines and their encampment at Shunem, which was a mere four miles away from the Israelite encampment at Gilboa. So Saul tells his servants, find me a necromancer, find me someone who can call up the dead. And I think it's kind of interesting that his servants knew exactly where to go. Obviously, they'd seen Star Wars, for we all know about the moons of Endor. Now, obviously, Star Wars took a peek into the Bible, or somebody did, to come up with that name. But the servants immediately answer, there's a woman at Endor who can do just that. And Saul wants to be taken to see her. Now, in the digression that we have before us, there's some interesting things for us to learn. And the first thing I want you to take note of tonight as we continue examining our first section, it's just this. Listen. Getting answers from the spirit realm doesn't make them divine. Getting answers from the spirit realm doesn't make them divine. There's two teams out there in the spirit realm. We do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, the spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places and all the other things that Ephesians reminds us of as well in our wrestlings against the spirit realm. Yet... Interesting today, this man is seeking things forbidden by God. And many today, because of the rampant biblical illiteracy, seem, people seem to think that every spiritual experience or encounter is indeed from the Lord. And yet the Lord says in 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? 
deceiving spirits and the teachings or doctrines of demons. And John says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, which implies that there are some that are not, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you know today that there are those who wear the label Christian astrologist? There are Christian horoscopes today. Listen, there are Christian tarot cards today that are called destiny reading cards. And the same process used by a psychic or a medium or one who reads tarot cards is being used by Christians today as a means, some Christians, I should say, as a means to guide them and direct their steps. When we've been promised that the steps of the righteous are ordered by who? Ordered by the Lord. Now, God has told us in his word that his voice and therefore his word is to be our only guide in life. And just because something is spiritual doesn't mean it's divine. And many today who do not hear the word of God taught in their churches begin seeking for something that can touch their sensory perceptions. And thus anything that is deemed to be spiritual or experiential is determined to be from God, which is not only untrue, but as Paul said, it has the potential to be demonic. So Saul, having been cut off from communication to the Lord, and we'll see that in a few moments clearly from what happens when the medium calls up Samuel, he's just simply looking for something spiritual to hang on to so he can move forward with whatever direction he is told from the realm of the spirit. Now, let's keep moving into 9 to 19. Then we're told, the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spirit is from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now, Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow and your sons, you and your sons, 
will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Now, this woman obviously sees something is not on the up and up. And she confronts the servants of Saul and Saul about trying to trap her, knowing that Saul had cut off all of the people like her from the land. And Saul gives her an assurance, nothing is going to harm you. And then she asks, okay, who is it you want me to summon up? He replies instantly, call up Samuel. Now, here's where the interpreters begin the heavy debate and things get interesting. The first thing I want you to take note of is that the woman screams when she sees Samuel. She cries out loudly when she sees Samuel. She does so not because she's surprised to see Samuel. She does so because she's surprised to see anybody because her whole thing was nothing but a ruse and she was nothing less than a charlatan. So she screams when she sees actually for the first time somebody from the other side, so to speak. Somehow in this encounter, she recognizes that the man sitting across from her in disguise is not just any man, but it is the king himself. And she calls him out for deceiving her. And again, Saul says, do not fear. Then he asks what she saw, indicating that Saul didn't actually see anything. And upon hearing her description, Saul says or realizes it was indeed Samuel, an old man wearing a mantle. And he prostrates himself face down and prone on the ground. And then Samuel speaks to Saul. Is that not what verse 15 says? Samuel said to Saul, right? Or does it say the voice of a medium channeling Samuel said to Saul? What's it say? Samuel said to Saul. Now, there's nothing in the text to indicate that this is the channeling from the spirit realm into the land and ears of the living. This is Samuel. Some say it's an apparition. Some say it's imagination. Some say it's some type of phantasm. Some make the point that God does not work through mediums and spiritists. And those are all good arguments. But... We have to recognize there are anomalies to the norm recorded throughout Scripture. Let me give you an example. Hebrews 9.27. And it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this comes what? The judgment. Did Enoch die? Did Elijah die? Is there going to be a whole generation of saints in the church age that aren't going to die? So there are anomalies to things that are the norms in Scripture. Listen, donkeys don't normally talk, but one did. Great fish aren't normally used for transport for prophets, but one was. The fact is, seas don't usually part so people can cross over, but one did. Rivers don't usually stand themselves up in a heap upstream so people can cross into the promised land, but one did. Now listen, I personally believe because of the scriptural evidence in front of us that for whatever reason that God allowed this, this is not a phantasm, it's not an apparition, it's not a demon mimicking Samuel or a medium channeling a demon. I believe this is Samuel talking to Saul from the realm of the believing dead. And I believe that because of verse 19, because this Samuel tells Saul the future. 
And only God knows the future. Only God knows what's coming with certainty. And Samuel tells Saul, his, his sons, and the army of Israel's future. Now, think about this today to make our point. Do psychics do what they do because they care about people? Or because they're trying to make a buck? Because they're trying to make a buck, right? Are there places of business usually palatial? Or are they kind of creepy and tucked away normally or some small converted house or something? Let me ask you, how many psychics do you see on the Forbes 500 500 every year? How many psychics are among the world's billionaires? That'd be Zippo, zero, nada, none. Now, listen, if a psychic could tell the future, they'd be winning every lottery. They'd be placing, they'd own Las Vegas, but they don't. All they are is manipulators and conjurers of uh, demonic forces. Now, this says Saul tells Samuel. God's not talking to me anymore. So the two are communicating back and forth. Samuel says, that's because you didn't obey the Lord and what he told you to do to the Amalekites. And you know the kingdom has been taken from you and you know the kingdom has been given to David. Now, further on in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we looked at this not so long ago. In Acts 16, 16 to 18, we're told it happened as we went to prayer, Luke included in the group here, that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of what? Divination soothsaying, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out when? That very hour. Now listen, remember what Paul also told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between man and God. And that is the man who? Christ Jesus. Now, I can't answer why God would allow Samuel to come up and communicate with Saul from the realm of the believing dead or the place of comforts or Abraham's bosom. But what I do know is that you and I do not need mediums, psychics, tarot cards, or horoscopes. We have Jesus. We don't need mediators between us and God. We have Jesus. We don't need Mary to mediate for us. We don't need to pray to dead saints. We need to pray to the Father through Jesus Christ because by his cross, death, resurrection, and ascension, we have access to all the information we need as we go before the one who is a present help in time of need. Somebody say something tonight. Now... Here's how to avoid going from bad to worse when we're in need of direction from the Lord. Now, listen, here's another insight for us to tuck away in our thinking and seeking. Being directed by the spirit is never to the exclusion of God's word. Being directed by the spirit is never to the exclusion of God's word. Now, interestingly, in recent days, I think or I feel or I felt are phrases that have replaced the Bible says. And this is how many are being directed today. 
But the fact is, King David in Psalm 138, 1-8 wrote this, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, the false gods of the earth, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Listen close, for you have magnified what? What are the next two words? You have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. The Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. But the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect or bring to completion that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Will the Lord ever leave us or forsake us? No, David was absolutely right in what the Spirit inspired to put to pen and page. Now, listen, David, in all of his struggles, in all the vacillations as he warred between the flesh and the Spirit that we have been talking about in recent weeks, wrote these beautiful words of reminder that the Word of the Lord is magnified even above all of his name. And the reason for that is because when the word of the Lord proves itself to be true, when the word of the Lord in the sense of prophecy is fulfilled, it exalts the name of the Lord. Now, in contrast, we're told the proud, he knows from a distance. He's aware of who they are. And in our day, I have to say, I cannot think of a more spiritually prideful statement that is being uttered by many that I have heard too many times and I would like to. And that is, I don't need to read the Bible. I just do what feels right and walk by the Spirit. That's from the book of Second Opinions. Now, remember, the Spirit is our guide. There's no question we ought to walk in the Spirit. Amen? But as the Spirit is our guide, so too the Word is our guard, which keeps us from wandering off from the will and the purposes of God. Doing what he felt right was what got Saul in the condition that he was in in the first place. So why would we today, why would anyone today not learn from Saul's actions and choose to repeat his errors today? Listen, walking in the Spirit is not to the exclusion of God's Word. Now, I think we all recognize the Bible doesn't address every temporal situation or need we're going to encounter in this life. It doesn't say eat at McDonald's on Tuesday, Burger King on Wednesday, pizza. I know it doesn't say any of that. But there are specifics that are not listed in Scripture. However, the general principles of Scripture apply to every day and every decision like Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, which results in what? And he will, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, direct your path. Now, 
I got a Facebook private message that I had to share with Terry, and uh, we had a good laugh about it. The private message just said this, Marry me and let's serve the Lord together. Now, I didn't need to pray about that because I'm already married and I'm already serving the Lord, so I'm good. But there are those who approach life through their feelings or their emotions. And because they felt it and had some type of spiritual moment, at least in their minds, they act on it. And it's happening all around us today. And Peter wrote in Second Peter 1, 1 to 4, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen to this. As his divine power has given to us, next two words, All things pertaining to two things, to life, temporal living here on earth, and to godliness, living in a manner that's pleasing to the Father in accordance with John 8, 29, and how Jesus lived his life. How do we do so? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given or have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now listen, God cares about the details of our life. He doesn't take a day off. Come on, that's better than that. He doesn't take a day off. His eye is ever upon us as I roams the earth looking for those uh, to whom he may show himself strong on behalf of, whose hearts are loyal to him. Second Chronicles 16.9, if you want to look that up, since I basically butchered the quote, but I think you got the idea. Listen, there are portions of life where specifics are not mentioned in the word. And therefore, we need to be discerning. We need to be able to walk by the leading of the Spirit, but we need to remember that not all that is from the spirit realm is from the Lord. And therefore, we must have something by which we can test the spirits, which is the word of God. Somebody say, Amen. Now, let's wrap it up in 20 to 25, this very sad chapter in the life of King Saul. We're told then immediately Saul fell full length on the ground. He was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. Now, he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now, the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. She took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. I thought it was kind of interesting that the woman said, Hey, let me give you something to eat before you go. 
I think before you go was the key in that statement. She's trying to get Saul out of the house and thus spare her life. And Saul's reaction to Samuel's message drops him down on his face, prostrate on the ground in dreadful fear. And this was exasperated by the fact that he hadn't eaten the night before nor during that day. Now, one little component to point out as we back up a verse into verse 19 before our final section, where Samuel says, the Lord will also deliver the army, I'm sorry, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Now, there was a lot of debate over this issue as well as to what exactly that meant. Some say it implied that he would be in paradise along with his three boys with Samuel. But the Septuagint renders verse 19 as tomorrow you and your sons will be fallen. In other words, Samuel said tomorrow you and your three boys are going to die. Now, there's no doubt that Saul's announcement or pronouncement of death and that of his sons has now been told to him. And I don't think we're inserting or forcing anything into the text by assuming that Saul lost his appetite because of the silence from the Lord as he had been seeking him and the Philistine armies assembling for war some four miles away from their encampment. The medium pleads with Saul to eat. His servants join in the plea. The fatted calf is killed. Unleavened bread is baked and prepared for Saul and his men. And when they ate, they rose and went on their way and went back to Gilboa, which is about 10 miles from Endor. And the battle occurred the next day. And Saul and his three sons were killed in the battle. But here's the point for us. Saul was so hardened by a record of sin and rebellion, we see no mention of a plea to the Lord for mercy. We see no declaration of repentance, no bargaining with God. Lord, I'll turn from my wicked ways if only you'll have mercy on me and my sons. There's no expression of grief or pain because of the fate of his sons, nor the fate of the forthcoming defeat of Israel's army. This was the last meal before the terrible end of a man upon whom the spirit of God had once fallen. But pride, power and position had turned him into another man. Now, remembering Saul back in first Samuel nine seventeen to 21, we're told when Samuel saw, uh, saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel, and I'm pointing these out in contrast to what we just read or mentioned and said, please tell me where is the seer's house? Saul is speaking. Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I'll let you go and tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were three days lost, do not be anxious about them. They've been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? Now listen to old Saul. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? This was Saul when he was first told he would be king. The next chapter, we're told in 20 to 24, 1 Samuel 10, when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, this is the coronation of Saul, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. 
and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. Chosen, But then they sought him, but he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is. Where? Hidden. Among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? For there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. The first encounter, Saul says to Samuel, Why are you talking to me this way? I'm nobody. When coronation day arrives, he's hiding in the travel gear and doesn't want any part of this being selected as king. And from a man who did not see himself as fit for being king, a man so intimidated by Samuel's word that he hid in the equipment on the day of his anointing, to a man who is now so filled with pride and envy, he tries repeatedly to kill his divine replacement, even knowing the Lord had chosen David and rejected him. And here he is now. He seeks a medium from whom the very people he had cut off from the land, they and the spiritist, and he cut them off until he needed one, even though he knew it was against God's will and therefore God's word and therefore will. Now, Saul started well, he turned bad, and he got worse. So what can we learn from this sad digression of King Saul? Well, here it is. Here's our last and final consideration for tonight. Are you ready? Listen, there is no position or place of power worth disobeying the Lord for. There is no position or place of power worth disobeying the Lord for, or we might even say over. Now, we could add a host of other things to that short list. There's no relationship. There's no achievement. There's no acquisition. There's no property. There's no possessions that are worth disobeying the Lord to achieve or obtain or possess. Somebody say amen. Now, it is noteworthy that with all that Saul had done, since the day that he turned on David, having heard the song of the maidens, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands were told that from that day, Saul began to eye David or he started to watch out for him. Now, even in the midst of trying to kill David, even after repenting and promising not to pursue David any longer, the only thing that is mentioned by Samuel concerning Saul's actions that disqualified him is the Amalek incident. If you remember back in chapter 15, when the Lord gave a directive to Saul through Samuel to destroy the Amalekites and Saul spared Agag, their king, and brought back all the choicest of the livestock of the Amalekites, Saul argued that I did do what the Lord said. He just did it the way he wanted to. He interpreted the word of the Lord the way that fit he what he thought was the right thing to do. He even lied to Samuel saying, hey, I killed all the Amalekites and Agag is standing right next to him in the presence of Samuel. And here we are still reading about the Amalekites some 25 years later after they invaded Ziklag, the city of David and his fighting men. 
Now, as that progression continues in Saul's life, we're told in 1 Samuel 15, 20 to 23, that Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, which the Lord did not order him to do. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord. Next two words. To the Lord who? Your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is what? Better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Now, this is important for this reason. Saul goes from defending his decision to blaming the people. I wasn't going to take them. Listen, all the choice livestock, they should have been sacrificed to the Lord and utterly destroyed. Should have been utterly destroyed and not sacrificed to the Lord. But I, I made a mistake. I actually did what the people said instead of what God said. Now, good thing there's none of that going on today. Now, this brings up the point. Listen. We don't disobey God because of peer or cultural pressure. We don't allow people to push us away from the tenets of God's word. And it shouldn't be this quiet in the room after that statement. We don't let culture push us around. We don't let culture cause us to dishonor God. We honor the Lord and his word in all that we say and do because there is nothing we can obtain or possess in this life that is worth disobeying God for. Now, I say to all of us tonight that let's learn the lesson from the pages of scripture instead of the pain of experience. Let's let Saul be our teacher as much as we see the sad end of his life And how he had started well and continually got worse and worse. Listen, we live in the midst of a generation of people who are interpreting, accepting, or rejecting scripture based solely on what they think or feel or have experienced. So what do we do? Well, we need to pray for them, obviously. And we need to reach out to them with the truth because there is only one truth that can make men free and it is the truth of God's word. Listen, there is no wisdom greater than God's. There is no power greater than God's. And there is no quicker way for things to go from bad to worse than to be the captain of your own ship and disregard the word of the Lord. The ways of the Lord and the word of the Lord are proven. They are to be desired more than fine gold, David would write in Psalm 19. So, as sad as it is to see the demise of Saul and the kindred spirit to David, his son Jonathan, 
Let these things be a lesson to us that we can learn from the page instead of life experience. And we will be uh, far better off all the days of our lives. And we will not be watching things go from bad to worse. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Father, we are grateful again for your word tonight. We thank you for recording the ugly things, the disobedience of some, as Paul would later write, that these things were written for our learning, that through the scriptures, the Old Testament, we can find comfort, patience, and hope. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to see things go from bad to worse because we have your word, a huge advantage over those who have gone before. There's nothing for us, Lord, to decipher or interpret, Lord, in the sense that many do today. We can simply let your word speak to us and direct our steps. And when it is necessary that we walk by an in the spirit in a directional way or a decision time, we have your word to guard us from missteps that we don't make choices that we later regret. So we thank you, Lord, that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. We thank you that you light our path. We thank you that you keep us in your hand and watch over us and neither sleep nor slumber. So, Lord, help us to learn from the very sad life of Saul to keep things from going from bad to worse in our own lives. We pray these things now in Jesus' name.